Today was a standalone Sunday, sermon-wise. We finished up our parable series last week, and that's what we've been doing after Easter. And next week is Pentecost, which is where we celebrate when the Spirit fell down among those early disciples, and we call it the birth of the church. And then the Sunday after that is Holy Trinity Sunday. So the next two weeks, we're going to kind of stick to those high holy days and and read scriptures and, and reflect on some of the themes that those days present. But today was a, was a standalone Sunday, and so I, I kind of got to pick what I wanted to preach, like this week. Like, I got to come to work on Monday and think, huh, what do I, what should we talk about on Sunday? And I'm a big Celtics fan, okay, and they're making a pretty deep playoff run right now. Game seven is tonight against Miami. You should watch. We could use your good, you know, mojo. Um, but that means I've been watching a little bit more TV than I usually watch, which means I have gotten an extra healthy dose of our local political ads that were running up until Tuesday. So on Monday, I thought that maybe it would be a good time for us to talk about disagreement. Maybe it'd be a good time for us as a body of believers in the wake of a local election that can get a little nasty, if you ask me, with what we're willing to say about one another and what we're willing to pay to be on TV. Maybe this would be a good week for us to just spend a little bit of time on a standalone Sunday talking about disagreement, how we are a people that disagree, we live in a society that is constantly in tension with itself, and then ask the question, how are we as followers of Jesus supposed to exist in a bubble like that, where we feel like we just, we can't avoid the disagreements that we're faced with. And I realized that it didn't take me long as a pastor to realize that folks weren't going to agree with everything that I did or everything that I said. When I was in seminary, I worked at a church called Highland Park United Methodist Church. It was a big Methodist church on the campus of SMU where I was in school, where I was in seminary. And, and that church really did a lot for me over those three years that I, that I spent there. I, I would probably say that I learned just as much about ministry and how to be in ministry and what it means to be a pastor from my experience at that church as I did in the classroom just across the parking lot in seminary. And and one thing that that Highland Park did for me is they gave me a lot of opportunities to preach. I feel like that's really where my my preaching developed, and and I think that's also where my passion for preaching was born. It's really where I fell in love with what it means to craft a sermon and then stand up on Sunday morning and, and deliver it. So one Sunday I was preaching a sermon on the prodigal son, which is, you know, a pretty like layup text, if you ask me, right? They gave the seminary student the, one of the easiest parables in, in all of scripture. And it was in their sanctuary, which was a really big sanctuary. It seated like 900 people. And the only reason I tell you that is to say that there was a massive pipe organ behind me in that sanctuary. Like the biggest pipe organ you have ever seen in your entire life. So I preached, I gave the benediction, I stepped down from the chancel, and before I could see what was coming... There was a man that was like, I mean, he was right on me. I don't know where he was sitting, but it felt like he was on the front row and he ran. I mean, like as soon as I got down, he was right there. And the organ was blaring the postlude. So he had to yell to say this for me to hear him. Here's what he said. He said, I disagree with everything you just said. Yelling in my face. I disagree with everything you just said. And it totally caught me off guard because I did not think what I said was that, like, you know, heated. 
And so I said, everything? Like, you know, trying to insert some humor into it. And it, it did not work. Uh, he responded again, only this time he called me son, which I loved. He said, son, I disagree with everything you just said. So I'm sure you can guess kind of where the conversation flowed uh, from there. He unloaded on me. He tried to uh, question me for explanations for my logic. He asked me what gave me the right to say what I said up there. He wanted me to explain what I was thinking and, and why I said what I said. He wanted me to make sure that I knew why I was wrong and why he was right. All of this, all of it while screaming over the organ, screaming. And my initial reaction was to dig my heels in, right? Like, I'm not going to let this man come up to me and tell me how I'm so wrong about the prodigal son. Are you kidding me? And then, you know, I realized that I was just pouring gasoline on a fire, right? I mean, it was just getting worse and worse and worse. And there was a line that was forming behind him of folks who turned out wanted to tell me the exact opposite, right? That they appreciated what I said. And so it was getting really awkward too. I mean, it was, it was turning into a really bad look for him and a not so good look for me if I kept, if I kept arguing. So I backed off and I said that I would love to grab lunch with him sometime and talk about how we interpret the story differently. Well, the truth was I didn't really want to have lunch with him, right? I just wanted whatever was happening to stop. So I was like, my email address is on the website. You can reach out anytime but kind of gave him the cue like this this conversation that we're having uh is over the text that we're reading this morning is is a section of a letter that paul wrote to a church in corinth that was facing some areas of of disagreement one of those disagreements that they were facing was about food and about how to live into this new faith called christianity and navigate a society that was still structured under certain food laws that that they didn't really know what to do with. So they were in the midst of a disagreement as a church. And, And Paul writes this letter, and in this specific passage about food laws, I think he actually says more about how we as Christians should disagree than he does about what they should actually do about their problem with food. Because what I hear Paul talking about is how we can live as one body in the midst of the many disagreements that surround us. So I want us to read it this morning. It's, it's 1 Corinthians, it's chapter 8, and it's verses 1 through 13. Now concerning food, sacrifice to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Anyone who claims to know something does not yet have the necessary knowledge, but anyone who loves God is known by him. Hence, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that no idol in the world really exists, and that there is no God but one. Indeed, even though there may be so-called gods in heaven or earth, as in fact there are many gods and lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. It is not everyone, however, who has this knowledge. Since some have become so accustomed to idols until now, they still think of the food they eat 
as food offered to an idol. And their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not bring us close to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if others see you who possess knowledge eating in the temple of an idol, might they not, since their conscience is weak, be encouraged to the point of eating food sacrificed to idols? So by your knowledge, those weak believers for whom Christ died are destroyed. But when you thus sin against members of your family and wound their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food is a cause of their falling, I will never eat meat, so that I may not cause one of them to fall. This is the word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. And we give thanks. Thanks be to God. I think we may have a hard time understanding this conflict, right? I mean, to us, it's just meat, isn't it? I mean, what, what they're arguing over is, is meat. And, and most of us, I think, could probably care less what our neighbors eat for dinner, whether it's pork or chicken or beef, and certainly don't really care which store they went to to get it. But, but for the church in Corinth, this was actually a, a pretty big issue that, that was causing a lot of real problems within the community. They were arguing about whether or not Christians could eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols in a pagan temple, which initially sounds like a really easy answer, doesn't it? Well, if it's causing you issues, then just don't eat that meat. The problem is that practically all of the meat that was sold in the marketplace had been ritually slaughtered to an idol in a pagan temple. Usually the meat that was being sold in the marketplace was the leftover meat from that ritual or from that ceremony. So the question was, could Christians continue to purchase and eat this meat? But it really went even deeper than that because then it, then it started to become, well, could they continue to attend dinner parties in the homes of their friends who were not Christians where they knew that this meat would be served? Or could they continue to, to, to eat out? Because the closest thing to restaurants that they had in this ancient world were dining rooms that were attached to temples that served the meat that they had sacrificed to the idol of that temple and were serving the leftover in the room. And these were the spaces where birthday parties were held, where, where wedding receptions were held and everything. So you see, you see the problem, right? I mean, it's really a much bigger problem than just eating the meat that's sacrificed to an idol because it's not really just about the meat. I think it has way more to do with way more to do than with just hunger. It had to do with the ability to have a, a social life, to spend time with friends, to, to, to break bread around the table with people. It had to do with how are we going to exist in community with one another if we can't agree about what we're supposed to do with this meat. And did you notice how Paul starts his response to them? He starts out by contrasting knowledge, not with ignorance. He doesn't contrast knowledge with the absence of knowledge. He contrasts knowledge with love. 
It's like he's trying to set the framework for the conversation before he really gets into the weeds of it. Because he does eventually get into the weeds of it, doesn't he? But before he does, he sets a framework for us. Knowledge or love. Knowledge, he writes, puffs up. So this isn't, what he's talking about here is, is, is a certain type of religious knowledge. I feel like that's, that's implied pretty clearly here, right? I mean, he's not saying that it's bad for us to, to know things. He's saying that this type of knowledge that, that puffs up is an arrogant, pompous, religious knowledge that some folks in the community were exhibiting. It's the kind of, of, of self-inflated knowledge that, that you've experienced before, and you know it only creates what? Division. It's the kind of knowledge that, that tears people down instead of building people up. But love, on the other hand, love builds up. Love supports. Love nurtures. Where knowledge puffs up, love builds up. And the word that Paul is using here for love is that word agape love, which I'm sure many of you have heard pastors say from the pulpit. It's that that word for love that we attribute to the love of God, right? This is a selfless love, a boundless love, a love that is directly oriented towards others, even in a way that is self-sacrificial. So so this type of love, in contrast to knowledge, Paul says, it, it builds So I don't want you to miss that right out of the gate, instead of picking sides, instead of really getting into the weeds of what kind of question they're asking, Paul immediately takes a jab at both sides. You see that, right? He immediately takes a jab at both sides. He attacks both sides of the debate. And I think it forces us to realize as readers that any issue, any disagreement, anything that we have in our head right now, no matter what side we stand on, no matter what we think is right, no matter how convinced we are that we are in the right and they are in the wrong, Paul is talking to us. He's talking to us. He's saying if, if you have to choose between being loving and being right, the first thing you should choose always is to, be, is to be loving. Because when we start to act out of love instead of just knowledge, we begin to look for, for what this issue, what this debate, what this disagreement, what it, what it means to the other person. It keeps us from objectifying people just because of what they think when we begin to act with love. Because... We get rid of that puffing up and we begin to be a people that are seeking to build up. I feel like all of this is stuff that you already know. I think it's stuff that I already know. I've, I've read this scripture before, but man, weeks like this, when I see commercials like that, I just feel like it's something that we need to be reminded of as a people because this is not the way that our society works. And this is not the way that our political system works. But we know, as Christians, we know that when we start to act out of love, it can get a little bit uncomfortable because we, de- we develop genuine concern for the people that we disagree with. And it makes it a little harder for us to cling to that knowledge when we actually care for the person that's on the other side of the debate. According to Paul, eating or not eating meat is really just a matter of of indifference to God. 
He says, look, look, friends, we know, we know that there is only one true God. We know that. So we also know that eating meat that has been sacrificed to some fake God, it it really doesn't matter. It's not going to cause us any harm, and it's not going to cause us any sort of advantage. It it just, it really, it really doesn't matter. But some people, some people aren't ready to eat this meat. They may have wounds from from temple worship that are still left and, and healing and and eating this meat from, from pagan worship, it may just be too much for them right now. Or, or maybe they're new to the faith and they're still trying to figure out what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And they're not really ready to muddy the water by going into some of these temples. They're, they're, just, they're just not ready yet. And Paul says your concern and your love for your brother and sister in Christ, it should always trump, it should always come above whatever you feel is right around specific issues. And then he closes this passage by setting an example, doesn't he? I mean, he says, I'm not going to eat meat that has been sacrificed to idol worship out of love for those that may take issue with it, out of love that it, uh, for those that it may cause to stumble in the faith. So, I mean, it lays up some really obvious questions for us, doesn't it? What's what's the meat that we're arguing over today? What stands are we making at the expense of others? Where do we disagree? I don't feel like there's any shortage of that in our society. What hills are there for you right now that you find yourself willing to die on, no matter what it takes? Where is it in your life that your knowledge is puffing you up and preventing you from being a person and a follower of Jesus that's rooted in love? The story uh, that I led with this morning about that frustrated man, remember I told him he should email me about lunch? Well, I didn't think he was. And he didn't for like six months. And then I got an email much to, much to my delight, right? Ooh, I got an email. I got an email from him, and he said he really wanted to take me up on that offer. He really wanted to go to lunch with me. Six months later, like I'd almost forgotten about it, and then it just ripped it all right back up to the surface, right? And I did not want to respond. And I had the perfect out. I had the perfect out. I was about to graduate seminary, so I was about to quit working at that church in like a month. I was going to move from Dallas back to Birmingham and start working at a church here. I, I literally, I could have just not responded. And I would have totally gotten away with it. Nobody would have known. And I was planning on doing that. And I made the mistake of telling another pastor at that church what was going on, right? And that I would gotten an email from this guy and that, and that he wanted to meet up with me. And he was immediately like, you have to go. You have to go. You, you have to go because you have nothing to lose. What's the worst case scenario? The meeting goes horribly and then you pack your bags and go back to Birmingham. You have to go because you don't know what he has planned. He, he may want to verbally berate you, but he also may want to apologize. And it's your duty as a pastor to give him space to do that. Now, I completely disagreed, but I did it anyway. So I emailed him back. We went to lunch. And, and if I'm being honest with you, I just wanted to get it over with. 
Like I just, for weeks, I just saw it as this box on my calendar that I just wanted to check and be done with it and, and put behind me. And I was completely expecting to get totally verbally berated again and thinking that he had probably been formulating his argument for the past six months, like, like really honing in on why he was right and why I was, why I was wrong. So I even reread my sermon that I preached that day. And I reread like the other sermons that I had preached in that six month span at Highland Park, like thinking he may pull stuff from like here and here and here, you know. And you know what happened at lunch? Nothing. Nothing happened. We didn't even talk about it. I mean, truly, we did not even talk about that Sunday. He had some newspaper articles that he wanted to share with me. He wanted to tell me how something that I had preached a few weeks back, how much it meant to him. He knew that I disagreed with him. He knew that he had come up to me and and been so verbally uh, abrasive to me that Sunday. But he showed up that day, and it seemed to me like instead of leaning into that, he was leaning into, well, what common ground do I have with this young man? Now, did we solve all of our problems? No. Did he give me the apology that I think I maybe deserved? No, he didn't. But did he model for me what it, what it looks like to be in conversation with somebody that you actively disagree with? Yeah, he did. He went into that lunch with a better mindset than I did because he chose to speak out of love first. And he was the one that dropped his defenses first. He was the one that gave up the most ground to me. And I really feel like I walked away from that, from that lunch with a, with a friend. And that sounds kind of crazy to say. For the six or so months after that lunch, when I moved back to Birmingham, we emailed back and forth a couple of times. Now he was sending me stuff that I wasn't that interested in, but we did. We, we, we kept in touch and I could tell that was really important for him to, to maintain a relationship with me. I could tell it was really healing for him to make sure that, that just because he had a moment that he seemed to not be very proud of when he let his passion get the best of him, he really modeled for me what it looks like to, to be in a relationship with somebody when you know that there are disagreements in, in your midst. What I realized is that when we lead with love, because I think, I think that's what this gentleman did. It's kind of like what Paul was talking about, right? He led with love instead of leading with that knowledge that puffs up. And, and when we lead with love, I think what we find is that what once pulled us apart, it just might start to bring us back together. I'm sure you've all felt that in your lives, that when you lead with love, when you put that foot first, the division or or the distance that seemed to be between you and somebody else, it just begins to shrink and you find yourself growing closer and closer to them despite any disagreements that you have in your midst. And that's what Paul is challenging this community to do. And I think that's what Paul is challenging us to do. So we experienced another tragedy this past week, right? I mentioned it in the prayer. Another school shooting, another senseless act of violence that affects so many people. And if I'm being totally honest with you, I have been really torn up about it this week. And I really went back and forth around what this Sunday, what this message is supposed to look like. 
Memorial Day weekend, holiday weekend, and yet our hearts are so heavy, or at least at least my heart is so heavy. And I really considered scrapping this sermon on Wednesday or Thursday because it just it just didn't feel right. And, and I wondered if I should scrap it and just preach a message that only had to do with what happened in Texas. And, and I decided to not do that this week because I really think that these words from Paul around disagreement, I really think they speak to us in this moment. And, and here's what I mean. In the wake of a tragedy, especially one like this, usually what follows first is arguing. Arguing about what the answer is. Arguing about what caused it. Arguing about what the next step should be. Arguing about whose fault it is and who could have done something about it before it even happened. Who could have stopped it? How to prevent the next one from happening? I mean, it just, you've watched it happen on TV, right? I mean, it just snowballs into this massive disagreement and pins all of us against one another. It incites anger across political lines. It, it creates a space where out of our own hurt and pain that is completely legitimate, we start to become a people that are what? Tearing others down instead of building others up. Where we can so easily become a people that are puffed up by that knowledge instead of using love to build, to build others up. And I think it, it just widens, it widens the gap. When we lead with that knowledge, it makes the arguing worse. And it inspires hate. It inspires hate in people's hearts for the other side of the argument. It, it pushes us further away from one another. And what this text, what Paul's words reminded me of this week is this. And, and I, just, I just want to remind you of this as well. No matter where you fall in response to what, what has happened this past week, no matter what you think the solution is, no matter what you're an advocate for, no matter what news channel you watch, I think, I think the number one thing that we can do as followers of Christ when we are faced with something like, like this is, is lead with love. I really do. I think that is the one thing that all of us can do, no matter where you fall, no matter where your passions lie. I think the number one thing that we can do, and maybe the number one thing that our world needs in a week like this, is for followers of Jesus to be willing to lead with love. I really think that should be our first step, is to make sure that our response is one that is rooted in our love for God and our love for neighbor, not in some sort of self-righteous inflated knowledge that we feel the need to project to everybody. Because the truth is, I, I don't know, I don't know what, what the answers are, but I know we're not going to get there if we don't lead with love. I know that that has to be our first step. Because when we do, I think what we'll find is that our hands and our feet will begin to grow into looking a whole lot more like those of Jesus and a whole lot less like a product of the world. And I think what we'll find is that instead of continuing to drift apart, we'll begin to drift together. And once we drift together, I think that's when real solutions can actually happen. So my hope 
my prayer for us as followers of Jesus in the wake of this past week is that our first step, the first thing that we would do, and maybe the hardest thing to do, would to just be a people that are willing to lead with love. That we would be rooted in our love for God and our love for neighbor. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey friends, I just wanted to take a moment and say thank you for tuning into our message this week in the gathering. We hope you found it meaningful and life-giving. As always, you're invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. either in person here in the chapel or online. If you want to know more about who we are at Bluff Park United Methodist Church, you're invited to check out our website. There you'll find out who we are, what we have going on, and how you can be a part of it. As always, friends, if there's anything that we can do for you, you're invited to reach out to us. We are here to help you and support you in any way that we can. We hope that you're having a great week, and we look forward to seeing you soon.